0: We have a mighty work ahead of us in this teaching for some people it's a refresher for some people it is going to be extremely it might sound a bit complicated but I'll try to simplify it as best as I can here we we believe in powerful simplicity and so no matter how complicated it is we can make it as dumb pardon my language as simple as possible so I need your rapt attention before we go into the teaching, there's something I want to encourage us to do. We've had two weeks of fasting, right? Two weeks where we just made up our minds and said, "Look, Lord, we are going to cast away all idols." So, where a lot of people think fasting is food and water, and you cast that cast that aside, we say, "No, no, there are more things that command our affection." that give us pleasure than just food and water. And we've cut these things off. We said, look, okay, we're going to not eat that, not watch this, not listen to that as an act of consecration. But I want to encourage you, because many of you have been in church all your life. Many of you have probably been saved for a very long time. But this year, God has told us that what he wants to do in our midst is bring a fresh beginning. Such that even if you've been 10 years in the faith, 20 years in the faith, it can feel like it's brand new. Fresh energy, fresh anointing, fresh love and passion for Jesus. We've done church for so long, how about you do Jesus? How about you embrace him, have an encounter? I want to read this scripture, we'll go into the teaching very soon, but... There's a scripture that's very popular, Hebrews 11 verse 6. How many of you know that text? Oh geez, where are you? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, very popular. What does it say? For without faith it is what? Impossible to please God. For who comes to, whoever comes to God must first believe that what? That he is, that he exists, and that he is a what? A rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It is true. If you are, think about it with me. If you are seeking God with all your heart, with all diligence, what is the reward you get? You get God. If God is the treasure you are looking for, he will reward you with himself. Right? I want to tell you that you can still, in your walk with the Lord, have true encounters with Jesus. Have you ever stayed? In the place of prayer, what we call the secret place. Now, when I think about how God relates with us, it almost feels like ah, God has shakarasha. Small. You know, why can't I say God and he says yes? It just appears we have a conversation. Bang, bang, bam. Lord, I need ten million naira. Done. Before he even said it, I did it. You know, that would be so cool and nice. But in the realm of faith, there is such a thing as perseverance. There is such a thing as patience. It's the language that God speaks with us. I want to encourage you. This year, deepen your devotion. Tell someone beside you, deepen your devotion. Go further, go longer. You can tarry in the place of devotion. I I wish I could tell you the encounters that I've had in the past few years. Some of them might be strange or dramatic. Some I cannot even tell you because I don't have permission to. But you can have encounters with God. You can stay in the place of prayer. One day, two days, one week. And then after two months of just saying, God, I don't want anything else. I just want you. I don't want the stuff. I just want you. And then he shows up. And you will know. You will know. It's real I can categorically say that about 70% of the impartations on my life whether impartations of favor of a teaching grace of the miraculous whatever impartations at least 70% was from the secret place I thank God for ministers of God who have blessed me laid hands on me but I can I can tell you that God still imparts are you with me he still imparts in the secret place this year must be different. You cannot just be surface level for so long. God is calling you deeper. He says, come. Come. I want to see that you truly love me, so go deeper. Go deeper. <laughs> Some of you, I mean, I remember the first time I ever truly wanted to see God. And this was in my two hundred level. I wanted to search God. I would not see him physically. But I wanted to see him. You know what I mean, right? Where you seek God and you see God. That's what I wanted. It took me about four months praying and fasting before that happened. And my life changed forever. It was around the time where we started as a, ministry, as a fellowship in school. And we started out just saying, you know what, let's just have quick Bible studies five to ten people, let's just do this, you know, low-key, nobody needs to know. And from that encounter I had, something strange was happening. We called out a program, we didn't do much publicity, we have this little meeting we're supposed to have. From a fellowship of 15 people, 150 people showed up for that program. And we had so much trouble with the chaplaincy of the school that they had to shut us down, but they couldn't. <laughs> Amen. And for many people in that, I mean, I love what happened there. And it was a glimpse of what God was going to do for us when we start church. Are you with me? God has given us a fifth gear momentum prophecy for this year. And the only way that would happen is that all of us are devoted to the Lord. We are deep in devotion. We are building our fire altar, our prayer altar. We are are fanning the flames. I want to encourage you. If you need help to make it happen, get the help you need. But you need to pray this year. You need to pray some more. Have you noticed that your devotion literally affects your entire life? Let me see if I have a witness in the house. Have you had a day where you did not pray, you did not study your Bible, you went out and you were misbehaving? Let me see. You were just not in the mood, you were not happy, you were just irritable. Yes! But there's something when you pray, you, ah, you've immersed yourself. You cover until you are formed. After you've prayed, you just walk out. You are light. You are happy. Your thoughts have the right filter now. You studied the word. Maybe you even studied, think on these things, the things that are pure, the things that are just. So as thoughts are coming, you are fighting. Amen. But when your devotion is done, what happens? This is how God made us. We are spiritual beings as much as we are physical. When you are connected with God, you are more connected with reality. That's the truth. And you are more connected with your nature in Christ, which is righteous. When you start misbehaving, check your devotion. Are you with me? I wish I had more time to talk about this. I, I do this before our teaching so that at least I'm giving you these things to, to do, to practice. Especially regarding your devotion. Praise the name of Jesus. So, will you promise me that you'll do better? Take some time. Have vigils, personal vigils. Sometimes your vigils will be just studying the Bible, not even taking time to pray. You just study upon book upon book for three hours. You pray. You just, and when you cannot pray, just listen to music, to worship, and pray in the spirit, and sing, and shout, and cry, whatever you need to do stay. There's a blessing in staying. Are you with me? He rewards those who do what? Who passively seek him. Who casually walk into church and try to seek. Who diligently. It's a real thing. He sees your heart. The one who wants to see God will see him. Amen. And I'm telling you those encounters are beautiful. You, oh, I wish I could express them in words. Your heart to just be so flooded with God, and God is love. So, your heart to be so flooded with love and light. Amen. For those two people who are going to do this, <laughs> thank you. I'm sure there's more than two, right? Okay. Praise the Lord. Are you ready for today's teaching? We're in a series called What? Charis, which talks about the grace of God. And it's, it's my favorite thing to talk about because this is what got me here. If I share with you my past and the life that I lived, and if some of you, I call you up to share your own stories, by the time you look at you then and now, we'll say the solution, the, 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 what changed was what? It was, it was Jesus. It was the grace of our Lord Jesus that made all the difference. And he still does it today. We're going to go further today in this series. It's a bit, I beg you, please. If you know you have, your, name, your nickname is Dozier, and you know that in the teaching, uh, please help yourself, get someone to, uh uh-huh. This teaching is, I'm going to make it as simple, as illustrative as possible, but if you don't pay attention, you might miss it. Are you with me? Praise Jesus. How many of you have read the book of Romans before? Oh, so you're romantic now, huh? Nice. (laughs) You've read Romans. Let me see. From chapter 1 to 16. Now you understood everything you read from chapter 1 to 16. (laughs) Ah, some OGs in the house. Great. I'll put you to test. Don't worry. But when I read the story of Romans, it's such a progressive book. For those of you who might not have read it, there's something that is very progressive and sequential about it. In Romans chapter 1, Paul addresses a, a group of people. He talks about them. He, he tells us what these people do. And he says these people reject God. There's evidence all around. They can see that God exists. They see, in fact, if I, may, if I dare say, nature has to be the greatest evangelist Because it tells of God's creativity, God's design. So they see the evidence all around them but they choose to reject God. Romans chapter 1 talks about a group of people called the Gentiles. They didn't have the law, and they instinctively knew God existed, but they rejected him and started to pursue their other pleasures. Then you go to Romans chapter 2, and he talks to a new set of, set of people. Are you with me? Romans chapter 2. Let me even read a text for you here. It says, Verse 23, Romans 2.23, you, you who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Who do you think Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 2? The Jews, they have the law and he says you guys are dishonoring the law and you've blasphemed the name of the Lord to the Gentiles that we talked about in chapter 1. So, pay attention. In fact, when I think about, you know, blaspheming the name of the Lord or taking the Lord's name in vain, many people just automatically think it is, oh, you use the Lord's name as a curse word, right? Should I give an example? Okay, thank you. Oof, I was close. Uh, <laughs> but not just using God as a curse word or using his name for all those things. When you act in a way that drags his name, and name there means reputation, you drag his name or authority in the mud by your actions. You are blaspheming the name of the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he says, "You guys had the law, but you still are not perfect." Case in point: The Pharisees brought an adulterous woman caught. You know what I mean by caught fresh? They catch you. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Wear your clothes. Let's go. Brought her out to Jesus and said, Jesus, the the law of Moses, we have the law. We know these things. The law of Moses says, a woman caught in such an act is so hypocritical. Where did the man go? I don't know. Anyways, sorry for another time. They dragged the woman and said, the law says we should stone her to death. What do you say? They said it to test him. And how did Jesus respond? Do you remember this story? What did he say? If any one of you has never sinned, you have the law, right? You're supposed to be the holiest of the holies. If you have never sinned in your life, here, I'll even give you the stone. Throw it at her. And one by one, all of them hypocrites knew (laughs) that this man understood what was going on. That even though they had the law, they were still not perfected by the law because the law was not designed to make one perfect. It was designed to expose sin. Just like in a room. How many of you have pointed a touchlight before? You've held a touchlight. Have you seen a beam of particles coming out of it? What is happening there? Are the, are the particles coming out from the light? They are already there. But because of the light, you can now see them. That's what the law was supposed to do. To expose sin. It was always there. And now because it has been said, Thou shall not you can now be accosted and convicted. Are you with me? In The school I grew, I, I, sorry, school I grew up in, the school I studied in, oh man, what, what laws did we know here? And the laws, interestingly, only could confine us for a time. By the time the holidays came, uh-uh, flex. By the time you go to school, <clears throat> comports. They never changed us. But the laws, as much as they came... In fact, oh, there was a time where jeans were allowed in our school. You could wear jeans. My, my, my theory about how that law came, where it was cancelled, maybe someone, you know those jeans where rats used to eat? I'm joking, I'm joking. Well, you know the ones I'm talking about. Where there's design, aha. Uh-huh. I'm sure, she, you know, there was someone who was walking, it looked somehow, it was not the best, and the chancellor was like, what is this, will you stop the car? Come out of the car. You, come here you are you wearing? No more jeans. No more jeans in my school. <laughs> I'm imagining that's how it happened. And just like that, because there's a law of no more jeans, guess what? If you wear jeans, what will happen to you? You'll be convicted. You'll be punished for it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the way the law worked was that it was to expose sin and also convict people of sin. Are you with me? So even the Jews had the law, but they were still sinful. They still blasphemed the name of the Lord. And then in chapter 3, so Romans 1, he's talking about who? And who are the Gentiles? By the grace of God, we are no longer Gentiles. We are the spiritual Jews in Christ. God's chosen people. But according to the physical realm, we are Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you are automatically a Gentile. Does that make sense? So chapter 1, the Gentiles. Chapter 2. Chapter 3, he now says this. He <laughs> says in some verses earlier, he says, No one is good. No, not one. All have gone astray. No one does righteous. Ha. Verse 23, he now says this. You know it. One, to go. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. Jew and Gentile. Oh my goodness. What Paul is trying to to show us is this. The ones who didn't have the law and rebelled, and the ones who had who didn't have the law. What did I just say? Sorry. The ones who didn't have the law and rebelled, the Gentiles, and those who had the law but did not put faith in Christ, every one of them are still under sin. And we just showed it, right? Even the ones that had the law could not keep the law. So he now summarized all of humanity, whether the good, the people who keep the law, or the bad, the Gentiles, everyone is still ugly. By the way, that's the title of my teaching: "The good, bad and the ugly." How many of you watched that movie growing up? wah. wah, wah, wah. Ah, Gen Z. Me I'm, am I Gen Z? I'm Zelineal. I'm in between. amen but whether you had self-righteousness or you had rebellion the bottom line is both people whether jews self-righteous or gentiles who were rebellious the bottom line is they did not put faith in god they tried to establish their own worldview or lifestyle by their own ways and they forsook the ways of god do you do you understand what i'm saying So their righteousness was ugly to God. It was like filthy rags. We talked about that last week. Are you following me? But at the end of the day, the bottom line is, even though all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, God loves the sinner. He's always loved the sinner. And one thing I've found a lot of church people do is we try to make ourselves feel better by comparison. For example, I don't know about you, but whenever we have a test in school or an examination, I remember my, my mid-semester test, it was over 20. By the time they were sharing scripts, hey, I was like, ha, ah, this one was both But God, God, please. By the time I saw the script, I saw nine over 20. Is that good? Well, <laughs> when I finish the story, you will know whether it's good or not. <laughs> and then, we were sharing other people's scripts. So, there was one guy I was targeting. We used to healthy competition, you know. And then I looked at it. I said, ah, bro, how far? The guy was so lame. guy was humble. I said, are you okay? I'm fine. I'm good. I'm okay. How far now? Can I see? Can I see? I got seven. <laughs> so I tried, Abby. <laughs> I did not. Uh uh-uh. Best in class got seven. Me, I got nine. Who is now the best? <laughs> but one thing I realized is this My, that result is poor. Even if they collate everything and the exam does not add up, I'll get a BO, whether it is nine or seven. Are you with me? But that's what a lot of people do. We compare our works with others to make us feel better. Well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. Well, at least I've not done this and done that. I've been a church boy all my life. I've been a church girl all my life. (laughs) If we're going to put people side by side, if on a scale I was going to put three people, and by your own common sense, you want to judge who is worthy of God's forgiveness. Now, let's say you, you've been in church all your life. You've gone to church. Your, your parents are even pastors, which is nice, right? is it nice? You go to church. You, you fellowship. You pray. when You do morning devotion, all those things. And then they carry you like they carry Jesus and Barabbas. They say, oh, yeah, stand here. Now, we're going to bring two more people. And you people decide who we should let we should let go we should free. Beside you they put Osama bin Laden let's say he's still alive. Osama bin Laden world renowned terrorist. Beside you. Beside him the man who single-handedly or uh, orchestrated the killing of 6 million plus Jews and Arabs and black people. Adolf Hitler by his side. Now you people vote. Who should we set free? Answer. Who should they set free? Talk (laughs) now. Me, Abby? Why? I'm a good boy. (laughs) I tried. Not be me, kill. You understand? I'm a decent guy. But what God wants to prove is whether you are the one who is under the law or the one who outrightly rebelled against Him, all have still sinned. And if God is going to give the free gift of salvation to sinners, he must give it to these other people too. Are you with me? For him to be just, the one who puts faith in him would receive forgiveness. Whether you've lived your life in church or whether you have lived your life in rebellion, it doesn't matter. What matters is who puts faith in Jesus. Are you following what I'm saying? This is so simple but so important. Praise Jesus. I want to make a case for forgiveness. But there's something called Hell's Best Kept Secret. A man called Ray Comfort, an evangelist, he wrote a book called Hell's Best Kept Secret. And I was so curious, what is Hell's Best Kept Secret? What are they hiding in hellfire? What is it that they're hiding from us? It's a concept called False conversion. False conversion is thinking, like I said before, that because you go to church, your parents are pastors, you serve in a service unit or maybe even 10, you pay your tithes regularly, and you're an upstanding guy, you're not too bad, you're not too shabby, that makes you saved. I had a conversation with someone, I said, I asked him, we're just talking casually, I said, when did you get born again? Uh, 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 sorry, I asked, "How are you a Christian? That's what I asked him. I was evangelizing, and I asked the guy, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I, I mean, I've been, I've been a Christian all my life. And then I got born again. I said, eh, wait, what? He said, I got born again when I was 12. You've been a Christian all your life, and then you got born again when you were 12. I don't think this should be different. Being a Christian is not by birth. It's by new birth. Other religions, they can indoctrinate you from when you're young. They say, oh, you know, you can come into this faith when you're... But when it comes to Christianity, it's not transferable. It's not. It's the one who believes in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So a lot of people go to church, and I'm not doing this to try to probe and say you're not saved, check if you're saved. But a lot of people go to church, and I'm not saved. Do you know that? They are church goers and they are Christians. And not everyone who goes to church is a true Christian. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? What makes one a true Christian is not... If, if God is ever going to ask you or anyone is ever going to ask you, what makes you a Christian? Your answer must be what? Yet not I, but, but the grace of God. The grace of God. It's because I put faith in Christ even when I was dirty. See, if, if I tell you... oh. I was talking to a brother of mine in the faith who is now, by the way, he's a pastor. When he shared his story with me, I was so grieved and and also so happy. This guy, oh, what did he not do? He did drugs, right? He slept around. I think one time he was serially dating, he was dating eight girls at the same time. (laughs) I said, You are the champion. (laughs) Ah, ah. this guy had smoked everything possible he was addicted to pornography addicted to masturbation this was him this was his life and then he met God Ah, he met God someone preached the gospel to him and his life changed changed forever God's free God the help he needed he's married with two children and he's a pastor we still talk he's he's such an open transparent guy he'll tell you "Ah, I still thought about this thing no, but I've gotten the help I've put the system in place to make sure I don't go back to that do you understand what I'm saying? but salvation is real grace is real it makes all the difference and I'm here to say to you that no matter how ugly your past has been no matter how messed up you might think you are or unhelpable, grace can help what I'm here to preach. God can, can interact with you as if those things never existed. It's the concept of forgiveness. It could be as if you are starting afresh from the very beginning, because if any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. There's a version that says I can't remember which one, but it says a new species that never once existed before. Like you are brand new. Ha! Huh? Forgiveness. Praise Jesus. Now let me, let me talk about how forgiveness is received. And I want to clear out the misconception. Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1 from verse 9. 1 John chapter 1 from verse 9. Very popular verse of scripture. But I want to point out something very important there. If you're there, shout Shambhala. Okay, you're not there. Are you there? First John one verse nine. You there? Let's read it together. One, two, go. Come on, guys! This is your sleepy voice. Can you roar it at me? One, two, go. Purify us from all unrighteousness. Who was he speaking to? I want to do a quick commentary here. Who was he speaking to? He's giving us a principle. If we confess our sins, he's what? He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us us of all unrighteousness, right? When you look at verse 3, it says this. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have what? Fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. I see a distinction here. Now, I'm talking to you as believers in Christ, right? There's a way forgiveness is attained and I want to clear out a a, a conception. In, In church today, not this one anyways, but there are a lot of churches that would say this. Before you say a prayer, this is how you start. Everlasting Father, King of glory, Lord of lords, I am, that I am, the rock of ages. Thank you, Lord. We ask for forgiveness today. Forgive us of all our sins, every sin of commission, omission, permission, <laughs> whatever it is we've done. All of them. Father, forgive us. And then, then you start your prayers. And there's this repetition of that every time. Forgive us, forgive us, forgive us. This concept of confession. But when I read this text, John is talking to a group of people. He says, I'm, I'm speaking to you so that you, have, you will have fellowship with us. He's making a clear distinction. That we already have what? Fellowship with God and the Father. And we are preaching these things to you so that you would what? Also join us and have that fellowship. Does that make sense? So he's talking to people who are unbelievers. So in verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and purge us of all unrighteousness. Then verse 10 says this, very powerful. It says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He's talking to a group of people that feel like they are good on their own, This is a group of people that feel they've never done any wrong. And he's saying, if you acknowledge that you've actually sinned, he can forgive you. Does that make sense? Let me ask you a question. And you can put it out on the screen for everyone to see. It's about the confession method. Now, I'm going to say this with a pinch of salt. I'm getting somewhere. The confession method, and this is what it is. Whether in the Catholic Church you're confessing to a priest, or in your prayer style or your prayer time you're confessing, these are the questions. Do you list out every sin when you do that? Do you have to list out every single sin to be forgiven of your sins? What if you forget some? And what if you didn't know some that you you did were even sins in the first place, so you didn't even get to confess them? Does not mean your sins are not forgiven? Do you understand the questions I'm asking? If you are forgiven because of your daily confessions and saying, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that, what if we didn't list out everything? What if you forgot? What if you didn't even know some things you said were wrong and so you didn't confess them as sins? Do you get my questions? There has to, what I'm trying to say is for forgiveness to happen, there has to be a more potent way than the capacity of your memory to remember. I said it to be a bit complicated, but follow me. Do you understand me so far? If your forgiveness of sins is based on the fact of, of your ability to recollect, then we will have a problem on our hands. Let me show you where forgiveness is. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Do you love the Word of God? Yes, sir. Hebrews chapter 10. Oh, this is powerful. I'll read from verse 1 to 4. Is he on the screen? Not yet? Hebrews 10 from verse 1 to 4. All right, I want us to read together. See, pay attention. This is where it's all going to come together. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach what? Perfect. Do you know what he's talking about? The ceremonial killing of the lambs. In the temples in those days. Do you remember that? They will kill a lamb and do this ceremony that shows that your sins have been transferred to this lamb. And God accepted that sacrifice. That's why when John saw Jesus, he says, behold what? The lamb of God who comes. So when he said that, the Jewish people understood what he was saying. But he said those sacrifices could not do the work. Even though they did it annually. Verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, right? He's saying if people actually have gotten forgiveness, would the offerings not have stopped? For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. He's saying the effectiveness and the efficacy of the sacrifice is the fact that there is no more consciousness of sins. When I think of the confession method, I see a consciousness of sins. Anyways, you understand what I'm saying? Verse 3. Verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there's what? A reminder of sins every year. Is that a good thing? Does it sound like he's saying a reminder of sins is a good thing? Verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away your sins. But what those were were a picture of someone to come, who will do a greater job, pay a better sacrifice, and then satisfy God's wrath completely. Oh, this is powerful! Don't worry, you're going to get it soon. Glory to Jesus. The word confess. It says, "If you confess with your, um, if you confess your sins, the word confess." Show it on the screen. It's going to shock you. It's homologo, man. I am not joking. That's the Greek word. (laughs) I am not joking. I saw it. I said, hey, what was was Yoruba. I'm sure. Homologo, man. And it doesn't mean to list out. It means to agree and to acknowledge. Verse 10, he says, if you... What he's trying to say to these people is, if you can acknowledge that you have sins. If you confess that there are sins, he is faithful. That's what you call repentance. Are you with me? When you acknowledge that there is sin, then God can forgive you. So he's not trying to establish a system where there's a reminder of sins. You are listing them out. Okay, God, this one, this one, this one. Ah, I need extra sheets. This one. I am listing it out. God, forgive this one. You now use eraser. God, forgive this one. It's a flawed system. That's not how forgiveness is given. It's to the one who acknowledges, "I am a sinner. I have wronged you. I know." And then you put faith in what He has done. That sacrifice, that ultimate sacrifice, you put faith in it. See, I'm a logo man. <laughs> Confess. It's the same word in, in, in Romans chapter 10. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, to acknowledge with your mouth and admit that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead. That's what the same word. Praise Jesus. But when you talk about forgiveness, forgiveness in God's dictionary is this: There is a perfect sacrifice. That clears out all sin forever. And it is the sacrifice of Jesus. It's a perfect sacrifice that clears out sin forever. And you don't have to offer this sacrifice again. Are you with me? That's why Jesus came. That same Hebrews, there's a concept there. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to go to verse 17 now and verse 18. There's a concept there that I've titled. Or tagged gracious amnesia. Gracious amnesia. You, you know what amnesia is, right? It's where you forget stuff. Open your. Oh, this will bless you. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter ten. Hebrews chapter ten, from verse seventeen. So the context is he's saying, "I'll make a new." Let me. Let's see. Can we do verse sixteen? Go to verse sixteen. I want you to understand the background. Aha, very good. Okay, are you with me? Yes, sir. This part is important. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. So there was a covenant before with the law, and it was not effective, but it prepared them for a time that would come, which is now. And it says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into where? Are you reading? He said, I'll put my laws into where? So the laws will no longer be on tablets of stone, which by the way represented the state of their heart, the way it hardened people. And so it was on tablets of stone when it was delivered to Moses. But now he says, in the new covenant, I'll put it somewhere else. I will put it here in your heart. Oh, glory to God. And in their minds, I will write them. Now, verse 17, everyone, one to go. Oh, no, come on, guys. Verse 17, one to go. Their sins and their lawless deeds. Oh, my goodness. Imagine someone intentionally saying, I will choose to have amnesia concerning your sins. I will remember it no more. This is God's kind of, kind of forgiveness. Where it's a clean slate, fresh start, he doesn't remember your sins again. How many of you tech guys, you've ever formatted, maybe you're not even a tech guy, but you formatted a disk drive before, maybe a flash drive. You've formatted, let me see. Aha, so you understand this now. Formatting is such an interesting process. What it does is, it, it, number one, it wipes out all the data that is there, right? But as, you can, as much as you do that, there's also something you can do when you format. There's something called a file system type. So whether it's NTSF, XFAT, who knows what I'm saying? OK, you get it. There's a file format you can now change how the drive reads files. And you can do that while you format. When, I, when I, I, I did that, I was formatting and I was not even trying to get Rema from it. But the Lord said, this is what happened. He didn't only wipe out your sins, then he changed your operating system. Operator, he changed your, your type. As he, do you understand? That's forgiveness. It's one thing to just remove the sins. Guess what? They will come back again if nothing else is done. But the package of salvation is such that the, the slate is clean, but something also happened. There was a change. A miracle of change desires. Amen. Oh, beautiful stuff. But this is, who is speaking here in verse 17? It's God himself, not me. He says, I choose not to remember your sins anymore. This is the covenant I want to make with you. That if you partner with the ultimate sacrifice that I sent to the world then I will not remember your sins again. Hallelujah. Say, God has said concerning me that he remembers my sins no more. Say, I am forgiven in Christ Jesus. No matter how messed up my past was, it's not too messy for his forgiveness. Do you believe it? Glory to God. I'll still talk a bit about forgiveness. I know some of you are waiting for that balance. Uh Uh-uh. Oh, this, for forgiving for forgiving. I, there has to be something to it. We'll talk about it. I want to talk to you about what happens when you fall. When you make a mistake, when you mess up now as a believer, because you might not be perfect, what do you do? I'm going to talk about that. But still on, on forgiveness, I want to show you two things about forgiveness. Ephesians 1 verse seven is the same thing as Colossians 1:14. Well, let's go to Ephesians 1:7. Are you with your Bibles this morning? Okay, please open them. Ephesians 1.7. Can you read it for us? Um, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Thank you so much. The key word that I saw here is this: In Him we do what? Have, have, Have. say have. Have. Say I I have redemption through His blood. What else do you have? I have forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. I'm here to tell you that forgiveness is is not a subscription plan, but it's a possession you have. Many people have this idea that I need to renew my subscription. So I'm not forgiving now, but I need to do something to get forgiven the next time. Guess what? you are going back to the Old Testament system. You are figuratively offering sacrifices after and after. What God came to do in Christ was to give you a perfect sacrifice wherein you are forgiven and you are forgiven. Are you with me? You have forgiveness, so Are you with me? It's not a subscription plan. It's not that God forgot? Ah, it's true. I forgot I forgave you. Let me forgive you again. He said, I, forg- I choose to not remember. In this new covenant I will make with you in these days, I choose not to remember your sins. Second thing I want to tell you about forgiveness of sins is this. Hebrews chapter, tw- chapter 10, from verse 11 to 12. Oh, glory to Jesus. Are you learning something today? Are you sure you're trying to make me happy? (laughs) See, I beg you, if if this teaching upsets you or this teaching confuses you, I beg you, instead of running away, ask questions. We will make it simple, amen, or simpler. I've, I've taught some things before, and people got upset. How can you tell me that someone who has been a sinner for how many years... And me that have been in church, God will now favour this person over me. It's not possible. What rubbish! And the person left, <laughs> left this fellowship, I left this community. And like, if you just understood and spent time, and you were not proud to think that you were even worthy of God's love, then maybe you would have understood. Hebrews 10, from verse 11 to 12, it says, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering the, repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can what? It feels. I feel sad for these guys though. Imagine devoting your life to something that never actually gets the job done. Think about it. Imagine you're nine to five. You have a, a list of work activities that you do. And your manager tells you ahead of time, but look, guess what? You get, I'll pay you, but all this work you do, you will never achieve anything. So you dedicate your life for the next ten years, nine to five, every single day, to do work that will never accomplish anything. Even though the pay was one naira, how many of you will take it? You're honest. <laughs> They're going to pay you one million naira every month, but your work will never amount to anything. You, will you take it? You'll do something else by the side. No, the contract says you can't do anything else because even the priests could not do anything else. Nothing else, you're not allowed to do anything except that job, but it's meaningless, but you get paid. <laughs> so you like meaningful work, Abhi? Do you like meaningful work? Will you be hungry in meaningful work? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> but this is this is it's still so sad to think about it that he says this guy's minister daily offering sacrifices repeatedly that could never get anyone saved. Listen, this is this is something he's trying to say. He's trying to these keywords repeatedly. Cannot take away sins. Offering consistently. He's trying to tell you the distinction between the old and the new. Verse 12. Everybody want to go. But this man. Which man is he talking about? After he had offered one sacrifice. How many sacrifices? For sins. How long? Hi, 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 hi. He sat down at the right hand of God. The work was done. When he said, it is finished, he meant it. Have I lost you? The difference between the Levitical priests and our high priests is that one offered it repeatedly and never got the job done. One offered it once forever and the job was finished. Can you celebrate Jesus now? So what God wants, to be honest with you, he wants... A forgiveness consciousness that the work has availed for you. The work of Jesus on the cross availed for you. He doesn't want you to be be ridden with sin and be condemned. That's how the enemy strikes. I hope you know. What the enemy does is this. When you mess up, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. So he, he sees you. He sees what you do. And starts to whisper condemnation to you and say, look at you. You're coming to church again on Sunday. This week that passed, even when we were fasting, what did you do? I know you are. I saw you. And you are here again coming to pretend, lift up holy hands. And then condemnation strikes. And you two start to think, Ah, I don't belong here. O. I don't want to be. if there's anything in this life I don't want to be, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I can't come to church. And then guess what? Because you don't come to church, then you're isolated then you are by yourself. No one can reach you. You are avoiding Christians because they look like what you want to be, but you can't be because you don't want to be a hypocrite. you just staying away. Staying away. And guess what? Sin thrives in darkness. Do you know that? Sin now thrives in darkness. So you've hidden yourself and sin will thrive. That's why when people want to do bad things, they will put off the lights. <laughs> when you bring things into the light, it, it exposes it. Do you see the sequence? That's why when someone starts to ghost like that, without explanation, I sometimes I suspect it's one of these things. And one of these things is, is this. It might not be all the time, but this is how he does it. This is one of his tactics. He pushes you, fills you with guilt, shame, condemnation, but those are not the things that are your birthright in Christ. Are you with me? God wants you to have a confidence with him, a boldness to approach him. Ah, we are not ignorant of, his, of the devil's devices, though. We are not. And then what will happen is, if you stay away for too long, then you start to compromise a little bit more. And you know how sin is. It's progressive. It doesn't get tired. It wants more. So you do something small. You you're grieved. You cried. Hey! Oh, Lord! <laughs> Why did I do this thing? And you cried. And, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Next time you did it. You cried. You crowed. You crooned. You did it again. Ah. Ah. Sorry, oh Lord. I'm sorry, Shah. It was not good. You do it again. Ah. What's wrong with me, Seth? God, I beg, please. God, I beg. God, I beg. You do it again. You... This time, you don't even say anything to God. And then, before you know it, you don't even talk to God again. And now, there's no communication. And because you've lost connection with your creator, guess what? Your life starts to look more and more like a mess. And then before you know it, your conscience starts to become seared. Where the thing you once grieved and cried about, it means nothing to you again. Devil, that's how it works. But by forgiveness, God wants you to know that you're never too far gone to come back home. Are you with me? God wants you to know that you can come. You can come to him. You can approach him. The church is not a building full of perfect humans without flaws. It's a hospital for people who were once sick and are getting better by the day, amen. we may not be perfect yet, but we are progressing, and that's what matters. So I want to invite you to this hospital to, to feel at home here, where everyone, even myself, we are progressing. We are being more like Christ as he sanctifies us. Are you with me? I beg you, I beg you silence the voice of the enemy in your life the condemnation the guilt not this year not this year tune it down if i don't see you in church i will assume you are condemned (laughs) or you are feeling condemned and as i'll call you i'll get your number and call you bro how far why are you not in church ah i forgot my alarm didn't go off okay so you'll come next week all right you didn't come next week what happened uh, you, know, my, you know I told you my grandpa had this 50th birthday oh, okay next week I'll come in a, I, I've seen these things I know and some people might be legit but sometimes it's just that idea that I cannot come to the presence of God anymore I don't belong and that's a lie say I belong I belong to God I belong in fellowship I will not isolate myself I would expose everything to the light. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. So let me help you out. When you fall, now what I said in this one, where I said, um, for this man, after offering sacrifice once forever, when someone offers a sacrifice once forever and then he sits down saying the work is done, what he's trying to say is that Forgiveness covers all the tenses of your life. Think about it. You know, when I told someone this, I had a powerful revelation from reading this text. I said, it has to mean, I was talking to a friend, that your past, present, and even your future sins, there's a provision for forgiveness in Christ. And the guy almost rent his clothes. Ah! It cannot be so! Heresy! <laughs> As I said, think about it. Even your past sins are a future sin from the cross. Did you hear what I said? Even the sins you committed yesterday, they are a future sin from 2,000 years ago when Christ made the provision. So why are your future sins, the one tomorrow, the one in the next hour, God forbid, oh, not, not you. <laughs> why would it not also be catered for, for this from this one sacrifice? Then maybe you belittle the efficacy of the sacrifice. Do you understand forgiveness? It's not a subscription plan. Ah, how much? 50000 this month. It's been paid for. And you receive it by faith. Do you understand? So that when your relationship with God goes, it's God sees you and says, your sins and iniquities I remember no more. That's how he deals with you. Does he see your actions? Yes. And this is where I now bring the balance to all I've said. So let's say you've made a mistake and you've fallen. You messed up. You did something that was inconsistent with your new nature in Christ. What do you do? I'll give you four hours. Four hours. I've taught this many times. I have to bring you back again. It's a classic. and need to help you remember. Four hours. Number one, repent. Number one, Repent. The Greek word for repent is metanoia. And what it means, do you know why we, we, we mentioned the Greek words? Do you know why? That's, that was the original language the Bible was written in, at least the New Testament. And so to understand the actual words, you need to go to the original language. The Greek word is metanoia, and it doesn't mean to cry or to shout. It means to change your mind. Pentance is different from remorse. There's still repentance as a New Testament believer. I believe that as your consecration increases, as you want to grow to look more like Christ, guess what happens? Your desires start to align more like his. So you love him more and you hate sin just as much as he hates sin. Do you understand? So if you're even found around what God even came to save you from, you you you, you, you hate it. As you grow in consecration, God wants you to grow in hatred for sin, in separation from sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, there has to be a repentance. 2 Corinthians 7 talks about it. Let me show you. I'll read it very quickly. 2 Corinthians 7 from verse 8. Open your Bibles with me if you can. Ah, This will bless you. It says, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, the letter he's talking about is First Corinthians. So this is Second Corinthians. He had written a letter to them before. And it says, I made you sorry with my letter, O Pele. I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your what? Your sorrow led to repentance. There's such a thing when you expose yourself to the light of God's word, it convicts you. Ah, this is the way the Lord says, this is what you've done. There's a difference you should, you should adjust. Do you understand what I'm saying? The word of God convicts you of sin. And so there's a sorrow that comes with that that now leads you to say, ah, I must change my ways. A change of mind. I must metanoia. It says, for you were made sorry in a what? A godly mat- manner, and I love that he said that. It means there's a way to sorrow in an ungodly manner. That's the one that leads to condemnation. That's the one where he say, I am nothing, I am wretched, I am disgusting. God, how can you love me? I don't want anything to do with you again. Because how can you want anything to do with me? That's ungodly sorrow. But godly sorrow is the one that says, ah, I shouldn't have done that. This is what you came to save me from. I should not be found around this thing. I will do more and do better. I will do more and do better with the grace you've given me. Are you with me? That's repentance. There's a place where you cry, where you sorrow over sin, but if you stay sorrowful, you've not understood the point. The sorrow is supposed to pick you up and realign you on the right path. Verse 10, read this with me. One, two, go. Not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Ah, look at that. Verse 11, he now says, For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence is produced in you? Are you seeing that? So you sorrowed in a godly manner and it produced something in you, a diligence to do better. What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, and that's reverence, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication in all things, You proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. I want you to adopt a culture of true godly repentance. Just because you are forgiven does not give you the ability and and the license to go about doing whatever you want. It's a call to say, if God has forgiven me, invested all of this love and, and, and care in the sacrifice of his son, I must do better. I must reciprocate this love in my consecration. No matter how long you might have struggled... You, see, I find this happen with a lot of people. Especially people who... am I holding this thing like this? I find this with a lot of Christians. And maybe it's because they don't understand what sanctification is. Especially those who struggle with habits. I've been there before, so I know what it, it looks like. They go one week... Without this struggle, I say, yes, I'm making progress. Thank you, Jesus. Two weeks. Ah, ah, hey, now me. Now me with this. Three weeks, free. Fourth week, you lost guard. You fell back. And you cry, Lord, what have I done? I'm starting from scratch. No, you're not. No, you're not. There was a time you couldn't go four weeks free. You've made progress. Are you with me? See, the sad thing about addiction sometimes is that every temptation that comes to you will come in that format consistently for the rest of your life. So what I mean is this. If you've never been exposed to smoking before, it was never a thing. When you're around cigarettes, it's not a temptation for you. Except you're having some pressure from someone. But it's not a temptation. Are you following what I'm saying? So in the line of what you've been exposed to, your temptations will also come in that line. So for some of you, you have to fight and deal with this, but you can win every time, is what I'm trying to say. So let's say you go one year free. Sadly, you lost God, you failed. You're not starting from scratch. You're still moving. Do you, you remember the story of Abraham we read last week? Do you remember? that The Bible says about Abraham, he did not stagger at the promise of God at all. But when we read his story, he made mistakes. He fell down and laughed. But the overall story of of what God saw was a man who fell and picked himself up. Are you following what I'm saying? Oh, if you understand this, it will bless you. It will really bless you. So number one is what? Repent. Number two, remember. 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 Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. Again, I'm talking about what happens when you fall, when you make a mistake. 1 John chapter 2. So we read 1 John 1 verse 9 before. Now we're going to chapter 2. Are you there? Can you read it with me? One, two, go. Ah, you're not there. (laughs) Are you there? Now you're there. Okay. Now, it seems like the audience has changed. He's talking to people he has formed in the faith, his children. And he says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you what? May not sin. So all I'm going to write to you now is so that you don't sin. Then next he says, and if anyone sins, perhaps you do. I love, he doesn't say when you sin. He says if. If anyone sins, we do what? He didn't say cry, fall on your face, roll down. He tells you something to remember. He says, Remember that you have what? You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Hallelujah. Remember that. Say, I have an advocate. I have a standing. I have a lawyer who is Jesus Christ. He pleads my case. Do you understand? Verse 12 also says this. 1 John 2, verse 12. Glory to God. It says, I write to you, little children. Again, why? Will you be forgiven or? I write it to you because your sins are forgiven you in Christ Jesus. They're forgiven you for his name's sake. Say, my sins have been forgiven, I have forgiveness. In Christ Jesus. So, practically, you mess up. What do you do? Lord, I am sorry. That's not who I am. There's godly sorrow. Are you with me? This is not who I am. I abolish this act. I I, I stay away from this. I increase in my consecration. But you must remember that the reason why you can even say those things is because you've been afforded forgiveness. That sacrifice that was paid once and for all is still availing for you today. There's an advocate, there's a high priest. That stands in your stead. Number one is what? Number two is what? Number three is receive. Hebrews 4.16. I, I have to speed up. Hebrews 4.16. Are you there? If you're there, say uh-huh, uh-huh. Are you there because you like that or you're actually there? Hebrews 4.16. Let's read really it one to go. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time. Oh, look at it. How should you come to the throne of grace? Why? Because you've been forgiven. I will explain this concept to you very soon. But well, what he's saying is this come boldly to the throne of grace. If you want to do better. What is the solution? It's grace. So come to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help you when you need it. Right? That's what he's saying. And Paul talks about grace in such a powerful way. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, he says that what? I've labored more abundantly than they are. Yet not I, but what? Oh, come on. You guys are not in church. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but what? The grace of God that was what? With me. I see a relationship between grace and works. And it is that grace, the former, fuels the latter, not the other way around. Grace fuels works. It's such a tangible thing that Paul says, the reason why I worked is because I had grace. So you're going to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I've messed up, but I need grace. I need grace to go again. To labor more abundantly in this work of sanctification. I need grace. I need grace. I need enablement by your spirit. Are you in church today? It's real. Grace is what has carried me. Grace is still what sets free. Number three is What? Receive, And what you're receiving is grace. Glory to God. Number four, restart. I want to read a scripture to you in Lamentations 3, verse 22 to 23. How many of you have read this book this year? Lamentations. Ah. That book is heavy. The guy just did complain. But in chapter 3, he did something different. Lamentations 3. Are you there? Verse 22 to 23. In fact, I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to sing it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come. To an end They are new Every morning New every morning Great is your faithfulness Oh Lord Great is your faithfulness Oh, powerful stuff says, they are new every morning. Ah. In Christ, every day is a fresh start. Are you with me? His mercies endure forever. And they are new every morning. So yesterday, say goodbye to it. The old has passed away. The new has come. Have this mentality that no matter what's wrong you've done, because of forgiveness, you can start again. You can start afresh. It's not just when we say, Happy New Year. That's not the fresh start for us. The real start is the mercies of God. Every day. Gives us the chance to go again. In the strength of the Lord again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to shout the four hours to me. What are they? Fantastic. End on this text Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Powerful stuff, Hebrews chapter 12, from verse 1. I think one to two, actually. Well, let's start with one. Let's just do one. Yeah, no, give me the previous one. I like that version. previous version he just put H yes pay attention here, this is my encouragement to you this week. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses and the witnesses he had just talked about was what chapter 11 right? The heroes of faith. Now he says, let us lay aside what every weight, and the sin which doth so easily beset us, he can say that because there's grace now, there's ability now. Are you with me? So you can do it. Say, I can lay aside every weight and every sin that easily besets me. But here is what I was focusing on. It says, let us run with with what? With what? With what? With patience. We're running a race, and the only way to go to the finish line is patience 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 why do you think he's saying that to run this race with patience because you might get tired may run and get weary and say I'm done this thing I've tried I've tried to be a good person I've tried to be a good believer and he's saying do it with patience be patient with yourself be patient with your progress be patient with your sanctification because God is patient with you are you with me He's patient. Say, God is patient with me. Oh, glory to God.